Chance News podcast series where we talk about the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned systems community. I'm your program host, as always, Patrick Egan, and this is where we say a big warm hello and welcome to our co-host for 10 years now, Mr. Gene Robinson. Yeah, you know, it's only seemed like it's just been a year, Patrick, but uh, hello, and yeah, it's it's great to be here and now that Texas has moved, you know, six inches away from the sun, it's starting to uh, cool off down here, and, and things are getting great. So. I know. I Anytime I talk to somebody in Texas and I'm like, get out of here, and they're like, I can hear them snickering under their breath. But it was hot. It was like <laughs> 117 the other day, which is, uh, you know, you have to make sure and um, bring a hat, you know. Uh, indeed. That's busy. Stay hydrated and whatnot. So anyway, our uh, and this is all relevant today. We got uh, we're doing our podcast called Civil Uses of Remotely Piloted Aircraft, and um, it, it's funny. People ask me all the time. Oh, golly, fuck. We can use these drones to, you know, do, you know, whatever, spray drop, search and rescue. Deliver fire, burritos. Deliver burritos, whatever. And it's all new. Everybody's all excited. Oh, golly. You know, heard somebody today say, you know, the LAPD is all excited because they're going to, uh, now it's like when they do a, you know, a, a warrant or whatever, they bring the dog and the drone. I mean, I know you remember. Remember when LAPD climbed the slow stick? This was before 2007, <laughs> but you remember that? Oh, yeah, uh, and that uh, fabric wing jobber that um, – I can't remember who made it, but it was, you know, made out of carbon, you know, tubes, and it was fabric, and they had a big press release, and they – took it off and they, they had the cameras everywhere and it comes in and, you know, they dork it in and of course it comes all apart. And then the LA times had the news on there that, you know, sheriff's office crashes airplane. Right. Well, that was even, the, that was the sheriff's department. So the LAPD and the sheriff's department both had some. And then uh, the other deal, like, you know, Sacramento, we, we had a uh, drone program, the PD. Uh, but the guy, the consultant that they hired, didn't wasn't aware of the regulations, or was probably doing. You know, you remember when everybody was like, "Oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, what do they call? I'm an amateur, or whatever." And they rolled it out. They went to the news, and uh, FAA was like, "I don't think so, guy." But that was 2008 um, when that happened. So, you know, the, the, what we're going to talk about is the. Uh, that was commissioned by NASA, by the Lockheed Missile Space Company in 1970. Yeah. So, you know, this is, yeah, this is a hop in the Wayback Machine, and we're talking way, way back. I mean, I was just starting my pilot training in 76. So, well, uh, I guess that kind of faded me. About uh, disco balls, roller skates, and... Uh, you know, I mean, it was a rocking time, right? Big hair, yeah, the whole nine yards. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, muscle cars, we had it all. It's good stuff. I was about 10 years old. 
But, you know, hey, we might, we'll, we'll just, you know, we're laying it out there for the, for the way back for sheep. Um, you know, so this uh, so this is back in 1976. So it was probably started before. You know, it's probably 75, 74. And um, you know, they're like, hey, uh, you know, we want to kind of figure out what's going on with these uh, remotely piloted aircraft, and you know what you could kind of do with them. And you know, they have all of these uses that we've heard before. You know, like the Security of high-risk value property. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Wildfire mapping, wildfire detection, fishing law enforcement. That's probably offshore. Highway patrol, pipeline patrol, agricultural spraying and crop testing, severe storm research, both low and high altitude, meteorology, you know, and it goes on. They, they have more. But even before we get right into that, uh, you know, so it was announced yesterday, and I don't know if you saw that, but Matternet got their type certification. Did you, did you see that story? Uh, yeah, I did. I haven't unpacked it and dug into it or whatever, but I mean, I remember I was probably like one of the first people that they talked to. Right? I went and met with uh, Paola Santana. That was either 2012 or 2013. So, you know, it only took 10 years and I don't know how many millions of dollars to make it happen. And they have a type search. No, that's cool. Yeah, the type search is cool. But, you know, the next one is a production certificate. You know, uh, is that going to take another 10 years or, you know, however many tens of millions of dollars to do? I don't know. What do you think? Well... Yeah, getting the type certification is one thing. The production certifications, all that uh, DRE, that design engineering review, and all that stuff that's got to go on. I know they do a lot of that in the type, but, you know, as they try to mass produce, then they've got to look at the mass production process to make sure that, you know, it produces a, a part of the same quality that was put forth in the type certification application, which is complicated <laughs> to say the least I mean it's good and uh, you know I, I don't want to poo-poo it because it's uh years I mean I remember when I met with her I knew, you know it's kind of funny because uh, we're talking and they're telling me they're you know they want to deliver uh, you know basically uh, pharmaceuticals whatever to people in you know, remote regions, you know, your indigenous people in the Arctic and, you know, out in the jungle. And, and it's all good. You know, like, that's a great plan. However, you're going to need to make it 99.999999% of the time or, you know, then there's going to be uh, liability ramifications. And if somebody goes and gets their insulin and they die or whatever, you know, it's going to be problematic. And, uh, on the table was a 3D robotics, uh, one of the early iterations of uh, do-it-yourself travel. You're not going to do that, are you? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, this is great. You know, and I'm like, eh, okay. And I talked about some of the trials and tribulations to get where they are today. And, uh, you know, and I was told, well, we got $10 million. Today. I'm like, All right, well, you know, that's a good start. And 
I'm sure they ran through that, given where they are today. No problem. But it's nice, you know, you got that kind of bread and backing, and then people are going to believe in you and make that happen. And I think about all of the people over the years, all of the businesses that went out of business. Jeez Louise. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, all the people that got into drones and got out of drones and people were doing drones and then the policy clarification and then we went into, you know, John Snow's winner and got how many people fell by the wayside on that deal, Um, I had one of those. Yeah, me too. You know, and then I was told, oh, you know, friend got into an illegal business. And I'm like, eh, yeah, no, not illegal. Game illegal. And there's such a saga. I mean, you know, it, even that deal, there's no administrative procedures manual. They just made it up. I'm still waiting for the, for the uh, report on how they did the policy clarification. You know, I met with the full FAA legal team and uh, congressional liaison. I said, how did you guys do this? Where, you know, did you use the administrative procedures manual? FAA didn't even have one. Never had one up to that point. And I think that was back in, uh, God, I don't know, what, 2010 or something, maybe even earlier. I'm not in the masking about that. Then they finally came up with one. But, um, you know, as far as I was concerned, they just made that policy up. It wasn't even a, a regulation with policy. And we went into the dark winter. And then, you know, I, I know this is controversial, but as I get older, I'm getting a little bit more um, cynical than it's possible. <laughs> and, no. um, yeah, you know, I hear this deal, and I know it's controversial, and I don't expect you to sign on or anyone to sign on to the deal, but people are, oh, they're good people! You know, and, and all these, you know, transportation and, and the FAA, and, you know, and, yeah, I'm sure there's some good folks there. But, I, you know, I'm at the point now where I'm buying into that, that whole, uh, you know, silence is violence and all the rest of that. Maybe because I'm out here in California and the propaganda machines go at 2470 or 7, 24-70, maybe even. Anyway, the, um, the deal with it is that people need to speak up. This, this, uh, I, I look at the aerospace thing and we are turning into a backwater. You know, that SLS thing with the, the net, I mean, that is so embarrassing. I, I can't even believe it, how bad that is. And uh, the stuff that the, the hoops that they're making Elon jump through to do the Boca Chica thing, you know, um, everybody's pretending like the Chinese are over there twiddling their thumbs. I think they had 37 orbital launches already this year. Yeah, Crazy. that's right. And, and then all of the, the aviation, uh, you know, GA, as far as I'm concerned, it's, uh, you know, moving in the wrong direction. And then you have this drone thing, which, you know, the podcast, we're going to talk about this. You know, this, this thing was supposed to kick off in the, between 80 and 85, and there, there was going to be tens of thousands of these things flying around, public and private. You know? <laughs> no, 50 to 80,000. Exactly. And, and where is that? I mean, People can say, oh, well, we have that. Yeah, we have that. We got, uh, you know, some, and we basically got the envelope for the Chinese drone. And, you know, that's another, we had that uh, legislation, oh, you know, we're going to get grants for, you know, uh, infrastructure evaluations for American drones. It's like it's less than 1% registered with the FAA. It's maybe United States. Well, it ain't even maybe the United States. It's Korea, Taiwan. You know, uh, blah, blah, blah. So that would show or indicate to me that the 
domestic drone industry is, uh, you know, not really happening. What, what do you think? Happening? No, not happening. Uh, man. <laughs> could be. It could be. Could be happening. Well, I mean, I think it, it is. There, there is. I mean, some people are flying around, you know, Chinese drones, and they're doing stuff. You know, it, it, I, it, that's funny too. So we just did a, a story, and I got a FOIA request back, and it was the um, from the DHS about you know concerns with uh, Chinese manufactured drones, and, and I thought it was you know they didn't go hard over it. It wasn't you know. Uh, scary canary, but hey, some pragmatic things to do to kind of, you know, safeguard yourself from, um, you know, issues. And I mean, so many people have been beating me up. Oh, you're just a xenophobe and you're anti-Chinese and you hate DJI and, and they go on and on with all this horse crap, which is not xenophobic. I don't hate the Chinese. If I was Chinese, I'd be having the pom poms and bras, just boom ba, because they're taking ass to taking ass. And it's not just in the drone thing, but you know, as we're seeing with with a lot a of a lot of different areas. Yeah, and everybody's like surprised. Well, golly, you know what what happened with this chip thing? You know, and the people are just um, everybody's just kind of as complicit as everybody else. I want my I want my 401k to go bananas. I want these companies to make 1,000% profit on stuff. I want, give me, it's all about me, but you're offshoring, you know, we've offshored our environmental laws, our label, our labor laws, we've offshored all of our manufacturing, we may have, you know, offshored our, our qualms with slavery and indentured uh, servitude, and it's crazy. What's wrong with these people? I know it's a big question, Gene, but you know, you ran way off the path into global economics there. And, you know, I, I know that we segued in from Chinese drones into everything else, but. Uh, <laughs> well, it's just, it, uh, it's, yeah. me, it's, it's like we're waking up to it and going, oh, well, golly, you know, what's, what's going on here? Well, you know, waking up, I mean, you look at some of the things that, that were discussed in this document and, you know, maybe you know, our listeners would like to, to, to know what the document name was. I mean, it's going around the web. It's called NASA-1970s-RPAS.PDF. Yes, and, if you want to search for it. It's also on the SUAS News, but it's, uh, or you can Google the civil uses of remotely piloted aircraft. There you go. Huh. 328 uh, pages of goodness that were generated back in 1976 that have been exactly. discussed and whipped and beat, and that hoss is nothing but a bag of bones. Exactly. So, yeah, and, and that was in the title of the uh, of this podcast, so you, you can uh, Google that up and check it out. Um, I think it's kind of interesting, so you had, uh, you know, it's Lockheed... Uh, Missile and Space Company. Okay, so it was before the uh, the uh, merger, uh, and it's Sunnyvale, California, and it was for Ames Research Center. Okay, so you know, another side bar on that deal, you know, with Sun Valley, and I think we talked about it on the show that a lot of 
the magic of Silicon Valley came out of um, the military-industrial complex. Um, and I talked about that. And I want to say that uh, Wozniak's dad worked for Lockheed. I'm pretty sure it was Lockheed. He got the transistors for the homebrew computer company. So yep. anyway, you know, there's all this time. Anyway, so there's there's all of this. They talk about the military services have demonstrated um, the promising use of remotely piloted vehicles or remotely piloted aircraft. You know, there was RPV in the military. Uh, so anyway, they 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 did this uh, report and they put it out there, and it's very comprehensive. We talked a little bit about that. So um, not only did they discuss potential missions or uses for it. Uh, they did cost comparisons. Uh, they did environmental and safety studies, you know, requirements and criteria, safety requirements and criteria, safety um, analysis and system features, legal and regulatory implications, market analysis, market size, market share, integration and entry into the market. Um, I mean, it just, it, it, you know, it, like we were saying earlier, it, it's comprehensive. I mean, they talked about the different uh, safety between the manned aviation and the unmanned. Or yes, they did. The time, uh, how, how I, you know, I want to say risky it is to do uh, aerial applications and what the safety implications are for that. Um, you know, and then compared them. Um, so, you know, in the summary here, the intent of this study is to identify and assess the technology effort required to bring the civil uses of RPV to fruition and determine whether or not the potential market is real and economically practical. The technologies are within reach, the operational problems are manageable, and the benefits are worth the cost. Okay, time frame for application, 1980 to 1985. More than 60 potential uses were made, and only 35 of the specific uses are identified and defined in this report. So, <laughs> uh, and you got the 328 pages. Well, you know what, really, I, I, I found it very amusing that, you know, all the way up to, you know, 2006 when we got grounded, <clears throat> the verbiage that is contained in this report apparently had become so ingrained into the FAA that, that it sounded, it, they must have had to memorize this thing, I think, because you get the I whole end of the minus nine. Uh, you know, get the, uh, uh, what do they call it, unplanned descent plans. Uh, you know, what 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 do you do if it's on the pilot, if a manned aircraft has an unplanned descent, and who's it going to be on in the RPV? And it just, it, it's just the, that has been parroted over and over and over again to us ad nauseum. And you would think that there had been some really, really smart people and we know that there are some really, really smart people out there that have addressed some of these and provided safety mitigation so far. Yes? Yes. And, I mean, one of the, you know, again, maybe 
partially cynical. Uh, when I read it, and some of that verbiage that you're talking about, some of the same concerns, some of the same, like, well, we got to determine X, Y, and Z. Um, it's already in here. What you need to do, how you need to look at it, what tests and what research needs to be done, what rules are going to be needed. Uh, and the altitudes are, I, I want to say they were up to 4,000 feet off the top of my head. And, you know, everybody talks about 400 feet or whatever. Well, you know, where this AAM thing is going is people are starting to realize that 400 feet is not going to cut the mustard. And we're going to have to get a little higher. You know, first they kind of, well, what, what are we talking about here? Well, you know, maybe 1,500 feet. Now it's gone up to 4,000 feet. So, I, you know, we're, we're kind of uh, conforming back to this report. So the thing that changed my eye is we've been shelling out all this money for people to do little reports and little studies and things to kind of find out information that NASA paid for 46 years ago. Okay. Now, I did send this over to the, somebody over at NASA. They will remain in, unnamed. I sent it over to Jane Merkel over at the UASIO. So, you know, for informational purposes, I'm not just a total jerk. I mean, I ain't you guys a jerk, you know. Uh, I'm not the one screwing the pooch over there. So I'm not a jerk. I'm just trying to tell you that this doesn't make any sense to me. And this does not make sense to me. You know, breaking this down even more, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, ice mapping, oil spill detection, surface resource survey, border patrol, waterway and shoreline pollution, security materials and transit, uh, aerodynamic testing for aircraft research. That's kind of how I came across this, is, uh, you know, I posted some stuff, somebody else posted some stuff, and how they were using remote control aircraft down there at the driving facility to test the yes. whole, like, lift body that yep. for fans of $6 million man and with too much side stick and the bathtub crashing into the uh, lake bed and all the rest of that stuff, all of that started with a re RC mothership dropping different lifting body configurations. And then, you know, the punchline on that deal was it evolved into the space shuttle. And it was done with RC aircraft. So when, you know, you hear these people all the time, go, oh, drones are new, and the capabilities really get out of control. They never had anything like this which, you know, makes me want to bang my head on the wall. So when you hear that, what do you think, Gene? You're like, yeah, <laughs> I never were able to do this before. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, this, this report is kind of repudiates all of those claims. I mean, because they're, they, they talk about actual concepts of operations. They, they, st- the statistics in this thing, is what really amazes me. Now, I did get, I was very amused that uh, they, they talk about the cost of a Cessna 150 and a 172 in 1976 is like $23,000 for 172, which right. that made me laugh out loud, you know, considering that a 172 now, you know, if you were to go buy one now, is about half a million bucks. <clears throat> so, you know, and I, I just used, I just sold my, my old, you know, 1974 172 for, you know, close to six figures. So that made me laugh out loud. But all the other statistics about fatalities and, and that sort of thing were telling. They're very telling. 
And that's what I'm saying. All of this stuff just has been quoted over and over and over again. Uh, fatality rates per thousands, not, you know, 90% of general aviation killed or injured somebody on board, you know. It's just, wow. I, I, it just this doesn't seem to change. No, and, and I mean, you know, some of the man aircraft, you know, they did like comparisons. They didn't just like pull stuff out of their stuff. Well, I, I, I like the I pipeline. Did, I did controls. like to say they identified aviation, uh, agriculture aviation as the highest number of small aircraft accidents in that particular realm of the the flight envelope. Yes, and I was telling him thing I liked is they did go look, you know, at the actual cost. Like uh, at the time, and this is it's funny because you know you're we talking about uh, a different cost and how things have changed. Okay, so you could do a uh, you know pipeline survey, and they're talking about on foot, horseback, round vehicles. But the most common method is a single pilot observer. All right, and the cost was thirty cents to 38 cents per mile patrolled. Anybody listening to this in the pipeline industry is probably chuckling and laughing and slapping the table at this particular point. The other yeah. uh, interesting thing I said, so there was a comparison where they're talking about meteorological and you know, weather and all that stuff. Manned aircraft such as the F-100, F-4C, Queen Air, U-2, and RV-57 are used. <laughs> to do what they can do with the RPD, right? So, <laughs> I'm just like, it, it just, it just, you know, it's like, uh, it blows me away, you know, that there's even that comparison. And who knows what all that cost to use just to monitor the weather, you know? Uh, yep. It, it, it just uh, really kind of blows me away. But, uh, you know, the wildfire mapping, they got they have drones flying up to 15,000 feet, uh, and they do talk about uh, GCS and pipeline patrols and uh, handoff at uh, 100 miles. You know, highway patrol, they'll be doing uh, handoffs at 150 miles. Other operators and stuff. It, it just, I mean, it's here. It's all here. How you do it, safety, ground station rationale, um, you know, an RPV system concept. Okay, this is, you know, you're going to probably, you know, remember this with the UAS, right? The, the system. Concept of operation, mission payload, air vehicle, ground station, uh, data and control link. Hmm. Navigation schemes, safety provisions, training and procedures, golly. Who would you need that for? They're uncrewed. They're no crew. <laughs> so, um, well, one of the things. Hey, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and the other thing I wanted to talk about is people are like, oh, drones are new. Rotary wing aircraft in here. I think they have a flying wing. You got something that looks like a pioneer or a hunter. Um, you know, and so there are different configurations. They they did uh, talk about you know multiple missions a day, the firefighting, wildfire mapping. I mean, you know, we got uh, we're here. I'm here in California. We got fire wildfires burning and are out of control. 
Um, we're still, you know, I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I'm not really seeing a lot of the Cal Fire aircraft. We got Broncos, which remember were, you know, Vietnam era stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the way they fight the fires, you know, there's two ships that aren't flown, although I have seen that they are even flying at night now. But, yeah, this is uh, 46 years ago. We're talking about using the, the drones to fight the fires. Uh, over there, you know, our governor, oh, we're all about technology, we're about this, we're about that, which is questionable. Because you'd think they could, you know, NASA is all fired up and wanting to do this wildfire thing as long as I can remember, even before I found this report. And nobody is peeling for them to go do that, you know. Every once in a while, the National Guard will fly one of their General Atomics offerings and the state gets you over like 600 bucks an hour, which is, you know, a steal. Um, but that is a far cry from this. Now, I know you did some stuff with NIST. Were, were you aware that, like, this study had been done for NASA? Absolutely not. I mean, that's, you know, I've, I've done a lot of stuff, and I even found some stuff on the flying wing that was done in the 70s, but <clears throat> that was a lifting body design stuff. But I had never seen anything like this, and I think it's rather comical. I mean, it's not comical. It's innovative at the time that these – these deployed rotor models, you know, that they were talking about, you know, you fly them as a conventional aircraft and then poof, you throw up a rotor and it gyrocopters down. I mean, there was, there was some people putting some thought into this stuff, and this was in 76. Yeah, and they also had um, the parachute scheme. Um, they yeah. had television cameras. You'd fly with television cameras. Uh, and that's how these people were flying this stuff, and I'm sure they were not flying stuff around and it was going on. So, you know, the thing for me, uh, the Hyde chapter is, uh, well, one of the many Hyde chapters is being involved in this and knowing what we knew in the early 2000s. You know, going, huh? you know? Yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, you could use this. I, I, you know, I, I had a guy from RTCA call me. It's like, look, dude, you know, he was like, well, we, we, uh, what do you think some of the issues are? I'm like, you got to remember, I was on that RTCA committee in 2004, that SE203 thing, you know. And, yep. uh, you know, they were groping around in the dark day. Oh, we got to figure basically what I, what's in this report out. You know, what are we going to do with it? How are we going to do it? Who's going to fly it? How's that going to be? So my thing with it is, is um, you know, I don't know if nobody knows how to use Google. You know, and I know that sounds kind of snarky, but, you know, that's all I did. I, you know, $6 million man, I watched a video, two minutes side stick, you know, around, so I, you know, started digging around, and I just, you know, Googled RPV and RPA, and golly, there's some stuff comes up, and a lot of it is, uh, you know, there's just has NASA on it. And so you would think that NASA would have, you know, a historical thing, you know, maybe like a curator of historical reports and we paid for just a, you know, uh, ton of different studies. And, um, you know, we, we would have this stuff and people would already know and say, hey, uh, here it is, we already did this. So, I mean, I, I think we could have shaved at least a few years off and probably a few million dollars just analyzing this report. Am, am I all wet on that deal or what? What do you think? No, no, I mean, Look, all of the things that they said would be uh, problematic, 
such as radio frequencies and ground stations and stuff like that, have pretty much already been addressed. I mean, you could take this report, bring it up to speed from a technology standpoint, and the complexion would change completely. I, I concur with that. I mean, there's even a design in here of an RPV variant of the Ruton varies, you know, the canard, which is interesting yes. because I think, you know, remember Access 5, that's a good that, uh, where they wanted to basically study this again and gave out a bunch of money, and then, you know, I heard they approached Rutan, and then it was like, I make airplanes and whatever, but, you know, AeroVironment and uh, General Atomics and uh, Boeing and some other companies got a stack of cash, which they blew through in a year and a half, um, from NASA doing some of the same stuff, you know? So it's like we've repaid to reinvent the wheel and all of that many times. And that bothers me. It bothers me that this has been missed. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about, and I did broaden the scope when I was talking about, you know, what the Chinese are up to, what we're doing. Some other research I did was um, the history of NASA, mainly NACA, which probably don't remember NACA, but it was the predecessor to NASA. And basically, you know, after the war, WW2, uh, people basically came together and said, look, you want to be, you know, top dog in the world, it's going to be all about aviation and technology, aviation technology. So we got to do something. And what we're going to do is they, I can't remember the name of the committee, but they put this committee together and they got all these guys that owned uh, all of the various uh, they were approached, people that owned the various aviation companies, Douglas and, you know, Boeing, whatever else. And a lot of these guys with the companies, you know, the guy's name was on it. And they said, hey, we want you to be on this committee, but we want you to be on this committee as a citizen, not as the head of your company. And basically what we want to do is get this round table together and figure out how we're going to uh, grab the brass ring. And that's what they did. And they got together and they talked about it. And basically, the idea with the NASA thing was, and this is why uh, Ames was put, stood up there, because you had all of these military contractors that were out here in California, and they needed a place to do testing. You know? And NASA was going to supposedly put out contracts and do testing to further that goal of you know, aviation technology and air power and all the rest of that stuff. There were people even in there that was like money was not even another thing was not talked about. Here's the technology we want to pursue. It sounds good. Now, being the cynical person, I'm sure that was abused rather quickly. What do you think? No, well, of course, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure they. Uh, but yeah, in a different time, and people are thinking about the country instead of profit and all, and all the rest of that. And we had. All of these, you know, technological advances. We put people on the moon. You know, this, this is like the let's say they did the NACA thing, and it's like the late mid to late fifties when they came into NASA, and then we put the guy on the, the people on the moon, uh, brought them back, and all the rest of that. So that was the mindset of the time. I do not see that uh, happening now. I like I read the uh, NASA. AAM, Advanced Air Mobility Research Roadmap, and that's pretty comprehensive too. And I would say that they're looking, not adjusted for inflation, probably about a billion dollars worth of research, you know, at current rates and, and how they blow 
through money and all the rest of that. And there's no funding. You know, and uh, I, you know, I'd hate to be Debbie Downer, but I talked to somebody who said they went there to the HQ, and one of the big concerns was is there wasn't enough women in the room. And not that I'm not into inclusivity, but it's like, we, we, <laughs> we've been working this problem for 46 years. Um, there's, you know, all of this research that needs to be done and funded, and we're, we're you know, I, I, I don't even I think if we, you know, this inclusivity thing of the NAS thing, if you had clear-cut rules where everyone could play, there'd be enough of the pie for everyone. Would you agree or disagree with that? Well, I, well, yeah, I totally agree. And at this point, since we've been discussing it so long, what does it matter who the scientist is or what they identify as as long as it gets done, right? Well, that's how you get SLSs off the pad. Uh, or starliners to figure out where they are in space and stuff like that. I mean, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm not against it. And I'm not a cave person or whatever, but, you know, it's like, man, you know, okay, how about that? All right, you want to be inclusive? I got it. Set aside $25 million research, and it's, you know, it's got to be uh, women engineers doing it. I don't care. $50 million, $100 million, $500 million worth of research. And get the gals on it. Maybe that's the stipulation. I don't care. Put up the money. Make it happen. Yep. So maybe that's yep. the deal with all of this. So maybe I'm, I'm just like thinking, well, we really be practical. Screw practicality. Throw it out the window. You want inclusivity of the Nash? You want to include and all the rest of that? Put your money where your mouth is. How about that? Is that a solution? Or do you think I'm off, off, off base on that? Uh, you know, money cures a lot of things, but if, again, you know, if that's what it takes, just do it. Yeah. What did I talk about? How's that feel good about it? Put your money where your mouth is. That's my, that's my new deal. I don't even, anytime I hear this now, put your money, that's just lip service. Where, where's the money? Because, uh, you know, I know, uh, I'm at the, these two at this job fair, there was these two young girls that just got out of school. They were aeronautical engineers and couldn't find jobs. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Everybody's like, oh, you know, we gotta get more women in here. And they're like, we've applied everywhere, can't get jobs. Doing what we, in, in air, aeronautical engineering. Like, okay, crazy, man. And whatever, you know, I don't know. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they probably have jobs by now, but, you know, the way people talk, you know, it's like, oh, God, can't, you know, can't find him. Everybody's misogynist. I don't think, you know, I don't think that's the problem. I don't think there's any money for these, these, these STEM jobs, especially when you think you can go uh, to San Francisco and write code and make $200,000 a year. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, I'm, I'm looking at uh, some of these numbers that they have here uh, for the insurance. Um, Million dollars of liability and property damage, uh, $300 a year. I don't know what you were playing for insurance on your your aircraft. Was it more than 300 a year? Uh, yeah. No. Well, you know what kills me, though, is, is you look at the, the R&D numbers in here. I was kind of getting off and wanted a couple of these charts here on, you know, the man versus unmanned and, and the – developmental cost more, you know, and they've got like $10 million for, you know, unmanned development cost. 
But, uh, you know, that even, – even back then, you know, $10 million is a lot of money, and it it all kind of lies in the, the federal government purview, and we know that the federal government is so extremely frugal with our money. Yes, too frugal. <laughs> well, I like this one. So this is – they went over here to the San Jose Airport. San Jose, California. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is funny, too. The aircraft storage costs 15 cents per square foot per month. <laughs> Jeez. <sighs> and that's San Jose. You probably have somebody living in there by, <laughs> by now. I know there's another airport there that has a runway that's long enough to take uh, private jets or whatever. The city's trying to close it down. Because they want to land value so much they can, you know, build a subdivision in there, and they're fighting it out on that one. Oh, yeah, the the property is worth significantly more than, you know, 15 cents a square foot. <laughs> yeah, per month. Um, yeah, yeah, this is so funny. I, you know, you're right. Here's the uh, fixed wing, one Cessna 180J. Or one Cessna 182P. <laughs> yeah. The 182P is $43,200. And then you can buy a helicopter. How about I tell you a nice Hughes 300C? You interested? $139,000. $139,000 for a Hughes. Right, right. Well, is it, and yeah, how come we didn't order. buy 10 of those back then? Oh, and actually, wait a minute. I'm sorry. That's two Hughes 300 C seats. <laughs> it's 139 dollars. Or two Bell 206 A's. 320 thousand for both of those. <laughs> we should have bought ten. I'm telling you, we could have put them in that hangar, 15 cents a square foot, and we could have made out like, uh, you know, we could have made out like banditos on that deal. So the other uh, thing that I wanted to talk to, we're probably going to run a little long on this deal, um, you know, is some of the stuff that needed to, uh, you know, be worked out by the FAA. And it, it totally gives, it gives all of the training costs, it gives like the storage costs, the maintenance, which I'm sure you were probably like, man, if I could find a guy to work on my aircraft for a few hundred bucks a year, Man. Yeah. You'd probably get no it. kidding. <laughs> or how about a Queen Air for three thirty five? <laughs> it cracks me up. I love it. And uh, it totally cracks me up what what this stuff costs, you know. Oh <sighs> it's nuts. Where's the maintenance on here? No, but they do talk about uh, the regulations that are gonna be needed. And they talk about, um, you know, some of the, the some of the, the detect and avoid issues. Um, oh my God! For pipeline patrol, here you go. They got a 172 here listed for twenty three thousand dollars. Exactly. <laughs> Man, that is just. I I, well, people wonder why. Um, you know, uh, GA is in decline. I mean, I, I don't. What's the new 182? Like half a mil, right? 
Oh, easily. Yeah. A new one with a glass cockpit, easily half a mil. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, and then you got to put it places into it and all the rest of that stuff. Man, that, that's crazy. So as I, uh, you know, just kind of scroll down here, do you remember the um, some of the stuff that they were talking about that the, the the regulation that would be needed and the research that would be needed? Oh, yeah, I went through that part just a little while ago. Yeah, the, the whole 10 to the ninth, minus ninth safety and the cost associated with, and, and now I'm into the Defense Directorate uh, Design Review and Engineering. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in, in the beginning of the summary, they say that the risks and rewards are, are worth it. It's not that, you know, it's doable. And then, uh, I mean, I'm looking at the accident rates here, you know, yeah. A lot of accidents with helicopters and, you know, uh, fixed-wing aircraft and how you could, uh, you know, there was a, between 1971 and 1974, there were 114 mid-air collisions between civil aviation aircraft, 213 fatalities. So it does say that you're going to need, okay, safety analysis and system features. The system features to respond to safety concerns about RPV systems are discussed under three subjects, positive control, collision avoidance, and then you mentioned this earlier, unplanned descent. Well, you're in that right spot. If you'll read on, it says that 90% of GA accidents are caused by pilot error. Right. Right. So, okay. And I am a geek. I I will be the first to admit it. And I've written a lot of code. And yes, it has taken me a while to get code that ran smoothly and had to debug it and that sort of thing. But once you got it running right, it stayed right. So if you have an autopilot that's running a flight routine, what happens to the pilot error factor in that one? I don't know. But here, look, I'm finding more stuff in here. Aviation. Wouldn't it go space. away? I mean, if you had a pilot program, say if you were flying a pipeline and, and you took in all the obstacles and everything along that 1,000 miles of pipeline or whatever it was and put an RPV or UAS, whatever you want to call it up, that runs a program that made it follow the line, what would you have to contend with? Weather, birds, Right. Well, and I, people, you know, with um, people with shotguns, possibly. Uh, you know, there there are a few things that you would probably need to, to think about and deal with. But if you could do it with something that, you know, you know, weighs twenty five pounds or something. I mean, I. I don't know, and it's over something you could you could file a NOTAM. You could there there are other things you can do, but I mean even these you know there's there's other stuff here: cost of present collision avoidance system, transponders, uh, reasonable cost. I mean they they have plans for all of this, you know. So I I just I don't uh, radar. Uh, 
And now, would you say that since 1976, would would you say that we have gotten significantly better at miniaturization and mass production? I would say so. Since 1976, every technology field um, has progressed. And, uh, you know, things have gotten a lot better. I don't care what it is. I mean, you know, uh, technology's changed. So I, I would think this is all doable and available, or there's, there's technologies out there that are usable. I think the other thing, though, with this um, different mindset in 1976, I mean, now, I mean, there, there's stuff that I see that these guys are talking about on the AAN stuff, or not even that, even another FOIA request thing I got back from the FAA, talking about how some of the onus is going to be on the manned guys to buy equipment and install it in the aircraft. Now, when I talk to you real quickly about installing equipment in your aircraft, what comes to mind? Well, you mean, yeah, uh, you're lucky to keep it in the air in the first place if you're flying general aviation stuff adsb is a good example nobody's saying that it's not good or it's it's you know something that wasn't required but much like many of the pilots out there i didn't install adsb because i wasn't going to go flying into controlled airspace so you still you know it the, the cost of doing that was just prohibitive well, yes, okay, because and for those that uh, don't know, and usually when you install something in the aircraft, it's, it has to be certified and done by an A&P and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, ka-ching, it starts getting expensive. Um, yeah, the other thing that they were saying that, yeah, they were saying that um, the pilots were going to bear some responsibility for seeing a void. And the first thing I put out there, you know, I mean, I haven't released this PowerPoint yet from the FAA or something. It doesn't sound like you ran this by the guys over at AOPA and HAI, because those guys don't like anything that they have to install. Even the ADSB thing, now you remember uh, back before the ARC, the FAA was pushing AOPA and all the AOPA and other people that, you know, hey, you're going to have this ADSB thing. They didn't want it. They did not want it. And there was reasons they didn't want it. One, I call it the Sky King flight plan, you know, where you jump in and go have your. At the 2005 is probably the $300 burger. This is probably like $650 burger, um, something like that. Anyway, you know, they, they didn't want <laughs> yeah. that. And the other deal with it was it was going to be like uh, tracked and recorded and, you know, there were going to be other stipulations. And they were like, well, you know, golly, we're just going to have this. There's really no benefits. And then the FAA is like, we're going to put weather on it. You know, here you go. You got weather. And weather, you know, there's pilot error and then there's weather. It's causes of accidents or whatever they didn't really want it and uh, i think that they kind of came down on the drone guys because the fa was trying to say well this is all about safety and we got to have safety and they're like well if you want safety you got to do something about these drone guys because i remember you maybe remember you don't remember but there was a hearing in 2005 in congress and uh basically aopa called it and they were like hey you got to do something about these guys that want to use unmanned aircraft for uh, commercial purposes. And there's this group called the R-Kappa. They advocate. You remember that? I kind of remotely remember those guys. Yeah. 
Well, I was on a, I was on one of these standards groups called that. They didn't even mention it until it was done, and it was done. And the guy from uh, AMA like called in and you know gave everyone the uh, the four one one on what transpired. Basically, the AMA was like, we don't want anything to do with it. We're out later. Denial, you know. Um, so that's another one people talk about. Well, I bet, you know, maybe what did the AMA get caught flat-footed? No. AMA knew this was all coming early 2000s. They just chose to try and make their business scale, and people got caught in the, in the, the curve as it was. Which, now you got the trust thing. I don't know if you're doing any, uh, you doing any hobby RC anywhere or no? I do that maybe once every two years now. But, you know, as they say, once you become a commercial pilot, it's kind of like having a commercial driver's license. You know, if you're driving your personal car and you get pulled over for, you know, something silly, the cop is going to look at your commercial license and say, buddy, you knew better. Right. Yep. Yep. I don't don't even have time for that. Well, I mean, I've flown around just goofing off just to see what I could do and fly it under that tree or that sort of thing, and I got a lot of giggles out of it. But, um, you know, if it came right down to it, I would still be judged by that Part 107 license. Yeah, it could be problematic. Now, uh, the scuttlebutt out there in the the RC world is they're pretty much like the whole thing's a joke, the trust. I mean, I, even, you know, I'm like, man, you know, part 103 is that home-built thing. You don't, you don't need to even take a test. You have to do anything. Yeah, they suggest, you know, they figure it out before you put your life on the line, but they figure if you want to kill yourself, go for it, you know. Um, and then I, I'm going to go fly around and pound a phone. You want me to take a test? Yeah. You know, I'm going to have to do the RID. Yeah, it's like, none of this crap makes any sense. I think the effort really got diluted. Um, when the FAA did the from three miles to five miles with the airport, we um, learned to control the airspace down to the blades of grass, which is a total overreach, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you know, you don't you got to control the airspace in my backyard. I can't even fly a little uh, electric helicopter in my backyard because I live within three miles of the airport. I got to get permission. You know, go help yourself, man. You know, what what is this? You know. There you communist Soviet thing here. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't, uh, and then the other thing that really bugs me about that is that you know, keep talking about this workforce. You know, GAO did a report and they're like, oh, God, there's no workforce for that uh, urban air mobility flying cars. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe because you're making it so hard for people to uh, even do the hobby thing, which I don't even consider most of these people hobbyists anymore. I'm sure when you were, I know you were obvious from an early age, didn't, you know, you, you had to build this stuff, right? Yep, every stick. And the magic, to me, was kind of like, okay, so you put this thing together in whatever your uh, hobby abilities were, you know, if you had tutelage or you had to figure it out yourself or whatever, you know, whatever your creation was. So when you got it out into the field, and uh, you didn't come home with a bunch of broken matchsticks. It actually flew. <laughs> there was the matchsticks. Like the, I, it just came out of my brain, my hands, and I flew it, and it, and it worked. And there was a magic. Yes, no? 
No. No magic? <laughs> that, that, that ain't happening. That, that magic is gone. I, I will say that they make a telling statement in this one that I think is really kind of funny or, or ironic. It says funding of RPV research and development will depend on the federal government until one or more RPV systems is demonstrated and accepted in civil use. I wonder if somebody else was read that and said, you know, hey, there you go. Let's do that. Um, I, I do not know, you know, but uh, I do. You know, there's lots of, like, sponsors and end Well, who came up with the first $1,000 drone? Uh, well, was it the Chinese or the Chinese government or no? Well, I mean, we had maybe like, they maybe they read this. Maybe, maybe they did, but uh, yeah. I think what happened—that's another thing that kind of with this industry that kind of bugs me. Is you have people in denial about this Chinese drone thing. You know, we kind of kind of touched on it earlier, and that even security risk aside, it's like. Really see the drone industry uh, in that DJI niche envelope, you know, and I think we kind of run that out myself. Um, I, do, you, do you think, that, I mean, you know, we keep talking about Blue UAS, and like I said earlier, there's a grant program for infrastructure if you're using American-made drones, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's like, uh, is, is that even a possibility? Do you think? I mean, you were a manufacturer. You had no. Be, you know, I mean, what, what do you think? You think you're no, you know, no, 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 yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, the the reality is, especially in this day and age and the, the economy and the market the way it is right now, uh, an American-made drone is going to be expensive. That's all there is to it. This is true. And then the other thing with that is, I mean, I do talk to people, and it's funny that we've got, there's military contracting, SBIR, STTR, and it's kind of funny, is most of those contracts, it's like, oh, it's got to be dual use. And I talked to some folks the other day from uh, Australia that have a kind of an innovative, innovative um, universal controller. It's got a ball on it. It's pretty, I'm like, hmm, kind of interesting. Um, you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, they want it to be dual use. I'm like, well, you know, who are you going to sell it to? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And then you, you, you can't, if you're like, oh, telling the military, hey, you know, this controller is, uh, you know, it's a low run or whatever, and I need $1,000. I'm throwing telephone numbers out there, whatever. You throw a $1,000 controller out on the open market, and people are going to laugh at you, you know, and go, I could buy yep. Paternity radio for twenty bucks, you know, or whatever. You know? Um, yeah. So that's not happening. And then we have the ITAR thing where you can't. I mean, it's it's like you, you really couldn't come out with a better comedy of errors to kind of kill innovation in the United States. You know, you can't sell it to anybody. Um, it's going to be really expensive. Um, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. And I think that the other thing we're finding out with, uh, you know, the marketplace, the way it is or whatever, you know, people think, oh, you know, a million dollars is a lot of money. Uh, not if you're, you want to get into aerospace. That's not, that's jump change, you know, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. What, do you agree or disagree? No, oh, no, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, aerospace industry, yeah, absolutely. million dollars is jump change. Exactly. I mean, that, you can't even... Um, 
you know, people it's, we'll go back to the coder. You know, oh, you know, because uh, some guy, if he's good or gal, could go to Silicon Valley and make 200000 right out of school or not even finishing school if you're good. You know, um, so you're going to, and people keep talking about that. These are hard skills to get people to come and work for you. You know, if you don't have rooftop yoga and, you know, the snack bar and the kegerator and all the rest of these perks that they have, you know, the ping pong table and all the rest of that, uh, you're not going to get them. And, uh, you know, even here in California, in San Jose, it's not 15 cents a square foot anymore. So, you know, there's facilities and tooling up, but then you get the dog and pony shows and everybody wants you to still, and I know that, you know, your company, how many times did you have to do free demos? Oh, God. Yeah, or, or let us let us have one for, you know, six months for an evaluation while we put it through our, yeah, that. Um, and if, if you're saddled with regulatory compliance issues that extend your runway three to five years and you're paying that coder that much money, guess how much money you're going to spend just in their salary to get the thing off the ground? Right, and then there's the labor burden and the overhead and, you know, Where's this oh, I'm just getting? talking about the coder only. Just the coder. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, they're facing this problem now. I kind of go, uh, there's some people that are angry with me, I don't hard to believe. Um, but no. some of these people, you know, like even now, you know, blue, yeah, it's blue. You know, that means, you know. People in this industry spend too much time at Best Buy and then come back and think that they're going to, you know, burn up the world and I'm the, you know, Joey Gabrano with the Jones and I got this going on and blah, blah, blah. It's like, look, even after you go to your, your blue crapola, you know, that's a snapshot in time. You, you, you're stuck. Whatever you got right there, that's where you're at. And then the other thing with this open source code, not that I'm totally poo-pooing it because it's great, you know, if you can, whatever. But nobody knows who's writing it, where they are, who's doing it. There's malicious code in it. They go, oh, well, we got the drone code. Remember, you probably remember, I told Chris, you're going to have to come up with some sort of certification process for your code. No way! That's going to slow us down. Well, now they got the drone code, and it's not free. People are putting money into it. But here's the disconnect from the rub in the whole world of aviation. These guys are working on their own certification over there on this uh, blue open source thing. And dude from the RTCA, I go, don't you guys already have DO certification? Yeah, we do. You know, and it's for uh, software for autopilots and aviation and partitions and all the rest of that happy horse crap. Very expensive. I want to say, you know, it was like $100 line of code or whatever for certification. So the two cramps are working in different, we don't even really know that each other are working on that. And then I told the guy at the RTCA, I go, really, you need to just open a group and you got to uh, work on the drone code thing, DO variant. He's like, yeah, well, we try, but, you know, it gets, you know, convoluted and everybody wants to be on it. And I go, that's exactly why it doesn't work. You know, again, I was on that in 2004, and everybody's jockeying to have control of the group, and then they want to write their own stuff to fit their own equipment, and um, 20 years later, you don't have a NOAA, you know, 
which is interesting. The FAA, I don't know if you saw that, but they just uh, they, or, uh, issued a NOAA for the RID standard from ASTM. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. So, but, seven years of work. Yeah. You got one NOAA. Yeah. I, it's just not efficient. So, you know, and then the other deal is, is you got all of these uh, demand guys in their commits. Look, even though we're talking about or doing yet, you know, and I, I made that comparison actually to the, you know, about that RTCA thing. It's like, you know, I, you, you put the airline pilot guy in charge of the commercial small drone group, the subgroup. I go, <laughs> you know, I want to be on a, a part 121 uh thing or an arc or whatever, you know, and I'm qualified. I flew in coach and I had the peanuts, you know, and I had, uh, you know, some orange juice. So I'm, I'm ready to go. What do you want to know? I'm ready to start making rules. You know? so it's, it's ridiculous. But, but he flew with your control models. Yeah, he did. And, uh, you know, so that should be good enough. And then he was, you know, all these, I, I think he was looking through, through the lens of an airline pilot. And I've had the same deal. This is a, I don't even understand this one too. I remember back in the day, and this is why I kind of cut ties with the AMA thing. Me and a buddy went and flew, uh, went and flew a glider, the gentle lady, all balsa wood. And we brought sandwiches and a six-pack of beer. And then he went apoplectic about the beer, you know. I'm not long enough to then eat my sandwich and have a beer. Oh, someone's going to get killed, you know. There's, there's us and you. What, other guy, what are you talking about, killed? You know, you're crazy. So I, I think people, uh, some people have lost a touch with reality uh, as far as the safety thing is concerned, you know. And so I, I, you know, I didn't really want to deal with that stuff. Anyway, I, I just, uh, there are roadmaps. Uh, like I said, 1985, you're going to have them all, you know, in the, in the, in, in, in working here in private firms and consortia use and state, local government and uh, federal agencies, blah, blah, blah. And you're right, you know, here's the areas of research, propulsion, aerodynamics, takeoff and landing, collision avoidance, key safety issues, civil RDVs, air, uh, interaction with air traffic control centers, onboard equipment, kind of controlled airspace, uh, onboard sensors to detect and locate non-cooperative other aircraft without, depending on their transponder, all should be the subjects of detailed study and research. So, I, you know, all of this, it's here, and it should be, the research should be within five kilometers of non-cooperative aircraft. So, I mean, a lot of it's laid out. I mean, this is this is a wonderful starting point, even if they were to employ it today, you know? Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's, that's the ironic part about it. 1976, if they started it today with the recommendations that they have here, we would be way ahead of the game. I know. So it's really, uh, that's kind of the, the, the high chapter. And I know we ran really long on this, but I mean, you know, 328 pages, 46 years ago, um, I'd say cause and effect down the road, um, things like that. Indeed. It's hard to impa- unpack all of this in, you know, 40, 
five minutes or whatever. I, I just, it, 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 I don't like the retiming just cracks me up, dude. 1980. Certification, production, and use by federal agencies could come by 1982. Yep. Assuming a successful demonstration in a parallel R&D program on the technology and subsystems. <laughs> and so private sector by 84-85. Yep. Obtainable costs, major source of savings. Yeah. We just need to encourage anyone who has an interest in UAS, small UAS, to just go ahead and download it and see what's there because it's pretty much all there in a nutshell. Uh, yeah, here is a certain certification. This one's a crack up. New rules will have to be developed since the present FAA regulations are uh, built around mountain aircraft. The, develop, the developer will have to bring the FAA into the development process at the beginning and work with the FAA through, throughout development, typically for a period of about two years before first flight. <laughs> oh, that's a hell of a we just talk about with, uh, you know, uh, Matternet in 10 years. They do say you're going to need licensing. They'll be licensed determined by starting with those required pilot of manned aircraft and the same use. Somebody must have known about this. Uh, somebody. somebody. I, well, that's I mean, what I did. I, mandatory reading. Exactly, and I think you're right. So it's kind of, they, they, I mean, there's just too much stuff in here that I've heard over the last 20 years for people not to know about this. And then if you did know about it, you know, now i got to put on the tinfoil chapeau. If you did know about it, somebody wasted a lot of time, you know. Radio frequency, uh, insurability. Got all this stuff. Remember that? Oh, you guys aren't going to have insurance. Going to need some insurance. have insurance, which we did have. They, they do make a statement as you're going down. They do make a statement that uh, right now uh, law enforcement would not be a prime user of the technology. Hmm. Yeah, there's there's, there's more uh, stuff that definitely needs to be done through. I mean, all of this stuff is like pulling the uh, – it, it is like pulling the thread on the sweater for me. You know, because you, you get the <laughs> – It's unraveling. All the yeah, and the, the footnotes and all the rest of that stuff, and this could turn into a three-year project. I mean, I just finally, after three years, finished the uh, Precision Hawk Beyond Visual Line of Sight Waiver uh, Fluster Collect. And even the FAA in the FOIA request and in the email chain are calling it the Patrick Egan saga. It's not my saga. I wasn't the one to sleep with the switch. You know, that was that. Was <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, I think people, too, oh, you're negative about that. Well, no, my deal is, is you know, the, the way that the FAA talks about this, if you can fly around in California here, you know, with no safety, no training, nobody's crossing the T's, dotting the I's, all the rest of that stuff, and nobody died. Do, do you really need all these waivers? Do you need this draconian regulation? I don't know. The other deal was, is you know, we've been hearing this crapola from the FAA that you know, oh, we need data. Well, if this is your pathfinder, this is that was the company that was the pathfinder, great pathfinder. 
And they were supposed to report back and interact with the FAA and collect data on all of these operations and, and pitfalls and trials and tribulations. And you know, you don't you don't check in for ten minutes or whatever until some some news guy sends you an email and says, Hey, what's going on over here? And then you check into it. Oh, did you go look at the logbook? No. Well, how do you know what's going on out there? And is it a charade? Do we really need all of this stuff? I mean, how much money are we spending on the uh, window dressing? So that's the thing that kind of cheeses me off, um, you know, when you look into things like that. But anyway, this considerations. <laughs> Not that I'm just upset or grumpy or, or whatever. I just, I, it just doesn't add up. You know, again, it's like, put your money where your mouth is. If this is what you're saying you're doing, do it. If you don't want to do it, then, you know, sit down and be quiet. I don't know. Right? Uh, anyway, I'll give you the closing comments on that since we're way over. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's interesting to look back and, and to see how much thought was put into it back then and how little was put into it after all the thought was put into it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely, um, but, you know, like you said first on this deal, somebody had to know about this, you know, somebody had to know this without it. I mean, I'll, I've heard all of these considerations in the past 20 years. Now they they've dribbled out, you know, fi- you know, privacy, insurance, uh, you know, protecting the void, frequency, whatever. They didn't all come out at once, you know. It's been like kind of a slow drip. Agree or disagree with that? I would absolutely agree with that, and it was brought out or trotted out when it was convenient to be an obstruction. See, now that, that's the kind of analysis that you, you just can't get anywhere else because that is exactly the punchline. Anytime it looked like we were going to make any headway, oh, golly. And you're right, you trot something out and go, oh, yeah, got to drop everything and start over. So that, that's uh, some kick-butt analysis right there, Gene. My head's off to you if I was even wearing one. But, Lived in yeah. You know, we lived it. I know. It's kind of discouraging. But okay. Well, anyway, I think that was a good, really deep dive on that one. And uh, I'd be interested in hearing people's comments. You can comment on Twitter, SUS News, or, you know, find my email and tell me I'm nuts or whatever (laughs) you want to do. But uh, I, I think that's a pretty comprehensive dive on this deal. I'd encourage people to go out there and read it. In civil use of an aircraft, um, check it out. Read it yourself. Uh, come to your own conclusions. Yeah. Right, Gene? Go to SUS News, download it, and then break out the old pen and start writing your elected officials. That's even better uh, advice right there. All right, Gene. Well, thank you for your time. It's been a long time since we've done a podcast. I've been busy. I know you've been busy. We Hopefully here in the fall when things kind of slow down, we can pick it back up and talk about what you're currently up to and what I'm up to and where we're going with all of this stuff. Sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan, my friend. All right. Well, have a nice day, and we'll, we'll talk soon. Okay. Be safe.